Welcome everyone to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that Wabetsu no Gengo di Dead Biro, Mite ni no Kanga, Magana Bidamata. Kadichiwa, Pete. No one escapes destiny. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 213, A Cold Day in Hell's Kitchen, is sponsored by Turk Barrett's Family Heirloom Ankle Bracelets. Bulletproof, but not knife-proof. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser here, Matt, the gigantic urn we've seen several times throughout season two here. Uh, Nobu puts his hand on it. And then a woman, Matt, we never get a name for that I lovingly refer to as Bad Red. Ooh, I like it. Refers to him in Japanese, of course, as Master Nobu and tells him that the necessary preparations have been made. It's ready for use should it come to that. Reference is also made to there being 20 targets in sight. And uh, they reference that after all this work, Black Sky is now within their reach. The only thing standing in their way is this daredevil. Yes, and we know from last episode, they obviously want to cross him off the list here. Um, So he suggests they get to work. We're going to take out all of the targets. The story moves to Matt's apartment, where Matt is cleaning up Stick, whilst Stick is tied to the kitchen chair. Nothing like seeing an older blind man being tied to a kitchen chair. He was um, taped, actually. Ooh. They say tied, but the close-ups reveal he's duct-taped. That's kind of worse. Um, Matt counsels that they have to work together. Stick counters that Electra cannot be controlled, manipulated, or transported. Hashtag girl power. That last part I said, not stick, because I don't think he knows what the hashtag is. I'm going to be, you know, bringing up, obviously, in our um, sidebar segment, the the black sky. But this thing has more rules than a mogwai. (laughs) Uh, Well done, Pete. Matt dismisses this talk, not the mogwai part, but the other part, as rhetoric of an ancient war. Stick notes that he hasn't even got a plan, which is a nice moment because we, of course, are with Matt. And then it's like, oh, wait, he doesn't have a plan. Stick says that the Hand believe in Black Sky, and what will they do about it? Matt seems valiant, but like a straw man, he says, yeah, but what will I do about it? And I just love that here we are in the start of the 26th episode of the series, and they're showing this character to be to be flawed. This is not a prudent way to move forward, and uh, the show's up front with that. The thematic element of belief in this discussion of black sky particularly in this season when it's been much more of an idea than the one episode last season where stick showed up um it it really defines the hand it defines stick we've got the chase on the other side of course 
you know, much tinier in number and uh, that Matt doesn't subscribe to this belief that he's called naive by his former master who he's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a level of child helping out older parent with the way he's cleaning him up and everything like this. Um, it, it's just a really interesting way to cast this interaction between the two of them. Um, and that every assassin in the hand believes in this, that stick believes in this, that Electra believes in this. And Matt is the one standing in front of them, telling them not to, that you define what you are in an episode that ultimately ends with him admitting to Karen who he is. Moving on, uh, on what is revealed to be Matt's rooftop, we see first Electra standing on a ledge. There are some great shots here as Matt comes onto the roof. Uh, we see the recently set sun behind him. Uh, there is maybe some motion blur there. Maybe there's some green screen going on. Regardless, it's just a really lush and evocative uh, backdrop that they have behind them. Um, and amidst this, uh, this gorgeous background in the foreground, Electra is promoting the mysticism. And Matt says that just because he can't explain something doesn't mean that it's magic. Yeah. And again, back to the belief here, is it a myth? Is, is this even what she is? Um, that there could be no such thing that it may not even exist. It's nonsense, but she's been trained to kill it since she was a child. Uh, and now everything that she's come to believe she is the thing she set out to destroy. So it's, it's a worst case scenario when it comes down to it. And Matt's been fed the same type of training. You know, you're, you have the gifts that, uh, only a, a few people have or deserve. He's, he's gotten the same speeches, the fortune cookie wisdom, all of that. But they were training, he was training, Stick was, and, and the Chase were training children to fight a war. So, of course, there's a certain level of indoctrination and brainwashing even. Matt reminds her, they don't get to tell you who you are. And I thought that it was interesting to kind of link up with that aesthetic at this point in this show, we got we got a hearty helping of exploring the seam between the female experience and the comic book fiction in Jessica Jones. And we're kind of back there again a little bit. We're, here we are, Electra has tremendous powers in into it in and of herself, but but doesn't quite know which direction to take them. Um I, I don't know, to me there was just kind of this nice, nice um, kind of, you know, backroom blur between the two. Um, Electra then gives with this kind of sort of recap, the hand is older than most countries. But Matt says that while their ninjas can mask their heartbeats, hers is always clear. Smooth move, Maddie. Smooth <laughs> move. It's about potential. And I would argue Jessica Jones as well. These are these are flawed female characters who are afraid of what they could become positively or negatively. Um, and that's no better showcased through this episode, you know, Jones with her alcoholism and 
you know, her, her fear of ruining everybody in her life. But when she is on her game, she's capable of tremendous physical feats and has great insight. And here with Electra, the unlimited potential that continues to be built up of whatever this black sky can do. Um, but if her power could be utilized for good, obviously teaming up with another vigilante here to stop this from happening. Amidst all this conversation, there's uh, finally a clear path, both narratively and I think in their own minds, uh, is set. Find Nobu, cut the head off the snake, even though the legend has says that he's uh, lived three lifetimes. Matt doesn't want to kill him, though. He wants to dethrone him, defrock him, and let him rot in a cell to prove to the hand that there is no Zool, only Dana, to borrow, <laughs> to borrow from another New York story. Yeah, that you, you show the cult here that their holy man is, is human, is just a guy. So they're going to go into the lion's den, Matt. We're going to check off a bunch of cliches. Okay, it is a comic book tale, so that's okay. Um, we'll we'll destroy cliches a little later in our recap here, but uh, they're gonna do it their way, not alone, together. Not alone. Boom! Welcome to the defendant. Oh, never mind. Instead, <laughs> go to the title card. A title card, Pete, that shows our normal cast, but no D'Onofrio. Oh well. Doesn't give away the um, the cameo though. That is very true. Something that we get after the title card, and Pete, this is why I roll hashtag spoiler free. Yes, it's been teased that Foggy might have an interest from another legal firm, so it wasn't completely out of the blue. But that I just Marcy love works for though. I mean, come on. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe it's something that they're saving for season three. Maybe maybe they're setting this up and sit and go. You know what? We 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 couldn't get together what we wanted to do. But all right, guys, here somebody somebody on an index card, right? Season three, cold open, foggy in the office, f making coffee, making copies, leaving his office. The hey, Mister Nelson, the boss wants to see you. Boom, he walks through the lobby as seen in Jessica Jones into Jerry Hogarth's office. Foggy, my friend. Blah, 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 uh, blows minds away. Nope, they give it to us here. <laughs> it's a great cameo, and it's awesome to see Carrie Ann Moss return here, albeit for one scene. But this is the firm, her, Hogarth, Chow, and Benowitz. And obviously, Foggy, with his performance in the Punisher trial, albeit... Uh, not the verdict they were looking for, but has really opened eyes. As Marcy has told us previously, Miss Stahl has recommended him highly to her new firm here. And they are looking for really outside of the box thinkers, Matt, you know, for all of these uh, vigilantes, maybe. How about people with complexities? And it is with that, bend towards their fictional world that I buy this notion that Foggy is being offered the named partnership. Yeah. I, based on my, you know, TV only understanding of, of such things, they're not going to offer a rookie like him, you know, a, a partnership, let alone a named partnership. But if you put yourself in Hogarth's shoes and say, 
she sees what's coming. She sees where her firm is at the crossroads of powered people and all that. It's just enough to say they're going to want to lock this guy down and lock him down in a big way because the intersection of law and law enforcement and court cases and powered people it's it's coming to new york pete i feel like i feel like there's gonna be a lot there's gonna be a lot of room for it these lawyers left. to be th these lawyers are gonna have to be defenders you know defenders of defenders it's it's snake seeding their tails <laughs> by the way the second marvel show this week that's made reference oh, i mean not this week we've watched this now but it's been out for a while but the second second podcast we've done where bad guys getting their heads cut off has been referenced either metaphorically or literally literally yeah and heads of snakes and everything like that but you know hogarth is a character and and those just briefly uh unfamiliar with jessica jones one go watch it it's great uh nominated for a hugo winner of a peabody wonderful television different show uh, but great nonetheless. And with my Car favorite so far, there you go with Carrie Ann Moss. Okay. You've, you've got this, uh, veteran actress that plays a, a really strong anti-mentor, if you will, to, uh, Jessica Jones, to, uh, Kristen Ritter's character. But needless to say, she has, uh, run into people with, uh, powers before, which uh, Jessica Jones has, in addition to the vigilante side of New York City. So again, Foggy makes perfect sense in winding up at her firm where, uh, you know, Jessica will sometimes dig up dirt on people. With that, Pete, we cut to your favorite new character, that of Karen Page, intrepid woman reporter, who's having trouble getting her article out. We see that via a montage, montage of not writing. I have blank page for page in my wow. notes here. Side view lights, cut, top left head, closes laptop, Melvin. Um, I'm not calling her a Melvin. We go to Melvin Potter after that. Um, this This is what I worried about with her speedy ascendancy to um, journalist Karen Page. She's never authored a story. And it, it falls apart at the end of this episode that while the sentiments might, uh, might be true and might be heartfelt, um, they come across 100% amateurish. Um, it, it's not easy to do. And this scene proves because initially I'm watching this and I'm saying, okay, you, you, you have answered my criticism with her inability to do this and her struggle to do this, which it is. Um, I had writer's block for about six months as a professional journalist. Writing was like bleeding. It was very difficult to do. And you had to work your way through it. You just had to write and type and, and go and do it to move into that next place. And um, here, authentic. Later on, opposite. You mentioned Melvin. 
Off to Melvin Potter we go. He's fitting Electra for her own super suit. But oh, Melvin has a present for Daredevil. It's a billy club, but cooler. Also a grappling hook. The possibilities are endless. And it's fantastic seeing this club from the comics that kind of can can be whatever it needs to be in terms of, you know, now he can swing from rooftop to rooftop and now it can, you know, it can be flung at people. All of that is kind of captured there. This moment here is the essence of of fictional film and TV. How does the Billy Club work? It works because we see it work. You know, it's one of those things where we see that it can do all sorts of things, or we see him go, oh, you could do this, you could do that, and Daredevil tries that once, and now it can be whatever, because we've actually seen it do that. The particulars we don't need to know about. Um, it just works, and it's fantastic. And he talks about how he's made all this stuff to to keep Betsy safe, still the teasing of Betsy, and two seasons we don't know Betsy, human being, grandma, Dog, goldfish. What the hell is Betsy? I'm, I, I, but I'm just so drawn to it. He also mentions that uh, though the papers might keep Daredevil quiet, Hell's Kitchen knows who's looking out for them. I think there's even the manly tap tap of the chest slash you know armor there. So it, it's nice using Melvin Potter here almost as a as a Greek chorus for the people saying. Funny that you mention Greek there, Matt, because there's a pretty. There's a bit, pretty big nod to the character's comic counterpart um, in his uh, armory here, his workshop, whatever we're going to call it. But uh, Matt Gerald here in this role, they, they pepper him in throughout the season, but so really eats the scene every time he's there. Just the authenticity, you know, bringing the, the club and the little case. I made this for you. It's my own design. It's a prototype. You know, Electra wants one. Don't mind her. Uh, but it can be a grappling hook. It can be a closed quarter combat weapon. Uh, the possibilities are endless. And uh, Matt is so genuinely taken aback by this, this gift. Before it was, you know, I, I need you to make armor because you made... Um, Fisk's armor, and if I'm going to tangle with him, we we have to level the playing field. And now, with his support, um, Daredevil has has really reached his potential um, in in what he's able to do here. And it, it's it's a really in in an episode where there aren't a ton of true feel good scenes. This this is one of them. Pete, you mentioned potter's comic background and it's funny because it's only in the last couple days that i've been reading some old daredevil titles the the electra arc where she's first introduced where uh the character of gladiator melvin potter appears and i'm like wait a minute melvin potter that sounds like the name of the guy what's the name of that guy that makes the suits in in the daredevil show and i'm just aghast maybe aghast is a bit strong but i was so shocked to discover that the comics character had such a background um, and then, you know, it kind of makes sense. They're trying to work stuff in. And I was reminded, Pete, of how they use the character in this and how there's the character of Trish Walker in Jessica Jones. And I was reminded of one more thing. There was somebody at uh, New York Comic Con, nobody that we knew, just somebody we were sitting by or in line by or whatever, that 
and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to 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 suggest that this this guy's enthusiasm wasn't well placed, but he was like Trish Walker, you know, Patsy Walker, she's going to become Hellcat, and it was like he was so proud to have figured it out. But then when you hear Jeff Loeb talk about how they realize the story needs somebody like a best friend, and then they say, well, what kind of ca- who do we have that could help inform that character? That's what they do. It's not that Melvin Potter, a lowly uh, clothier, will one day become gladiator in season four or five. That's the plan. It's just, we need a guy. Okay, we need a guy to kind of do this, that, the other. Hey, you know who that reminds me of in a really weird way? Gladiator. And I like that they're doing these reinterpretations where it's not, you know, you have a date with destiny where one day Melvin Potter must put on the helmet of gladiator and become a bad guy. It's just... It's a guy. It's a guy who has a little in common with the comics character, and that's it. And that's wonderful. And obviously, there's such a rich tapestry here, but to show the restraint to not take the, you know, how many comic characters can I cram into and attempt to develop, you know, in, in a five-pound bag – um, it, it, it just shows nuance and I, I, I dig everything about the way that this actor has played the character and, you know, w- when you can't get enough of somebody, I think that's the perfect way to do it. Pete, the story moves to Frank's house. The mail is piled up, old memories echoing through the house. Side note. So like no one has been there since the family was killed. No, you, you read my mind. Not only that, the idea and yes, he has he hasn't faked his death, but it's believable within the scope of the story that he is dead. In fact, they they give you via written exposition the New York Examiner headline: Frank Castle dead, escaped vigilante dead after um, explosion. You'd never repeat the <laughs> the verb <laughs> twice in a headline that he's that he's dead. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, just walks outside to his garage, door open, police scanner, uh, spray painting, you know, just like the, the home of this massive killer who's now dead. This thing would be police taped seven ways to Sunday. Yeah. uh, And I mean, this would be like Heisenberg's house on breaking bad. People would be trying to go in there and skateboard in his pool. Well, I don't completely understand the reference, but I understand there's a certain artistic flourish that they're going for. And I suspect as well, by the time they reached to either writing this episode or shooting this episode or certainly editing this episode, I think they realized that they had fallen a little short of the Frank Castle mark. They had 12 episodes of Castle stuff in a 13-episode season because he kind of... His presence in this episode, by and large, is a coda, and it's kind of setting him up as he starts on his own new path, but that's a path away from the Daredevil narrative, so that means he's he's Shane at the end of Shane, and he's riding away, and we're saying... How funny that Frank, you called him Shane. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, hey, there's that too, yeah. Um, but we're, we're saying, Frank, come back, Frank, and he's leaving the story. So I get that you you only have so much time, so you're going to do memory montage and images of being forgotten. But it just takes me out of the narrative to say, 
look, he owned, he and his family owned this stuff. We live in a world where your stuff goes to somebody when you're not around anymore. And if there's nobody for it to go to, I don't exactly know what the procedure is, but I'm sure there then becomes, you know, the city, the state, somebody doesn't just let the house sit there until it falls down forever, until until it gets condemned. And as you say, Pete, he's dead. There's no question that he's dead, at least from the press. I mean, at what point do we start to pack this stuff up and move on? Uh, again, maybe it's a little bit too much fuss made over over this, but um, you we talked P- Gladiator a moment ago, Matt. Let's let's talk uh, Greek theatrics. Let's let's talk your Sophocles here and the the classic three act. Okay, he has exactly three scenes in this episode. Okay, Ooh, two at the house, three. one at the scene, and uh, okay, so we're we're gonna break that out. I think this is a victim of its own success in that as they were shooting this series, the buzz about Punisher and the potential for a Punisher spinoff really kind of hemmed them into a corner. Yeah, I think they gave us so much of him up front which I think was the right decision because in retrospect, this season plays with more zip versus the slow Fisk reveal. And and there were different story pressures on why that was the case for Fisk in the first season. But to zag where the first season zigged is is a good choice. And to get a certain sense, you know what, this is working. I'm, you know, these Marvel contracts are so ironclad and so forward looking, um, uh, to get uh, the guy that plays um, Dr. Silvig, uh, to get him for five movies. Like, that's the contract. Like, who would have thought that in Thor 1? We're going to get this guy for five movies. So I'm sure that they had this contingency when they signed the contract with Bernthal to to do more in some degree. But it is at the service of that that he's barely in this episode, and I just would have liked to see more. Speaking of seeing more, Pete, he's spraying on the body armor. He's going to do the thing. He's going to do the thing. Fast forward to a little (laughs) bit later in the podcast where I'm complaining that we don't get the moment of the thing. But we'll discuss that when we get there. Well, I mean, who would have figured that Electra's story would loom as large as it did in this season when the Punisher was the one who was so promoted up front? And the mileage that they got out of Elodie Young here, you know, handing stick the, the sandwich, um, you know, asking him how it feels here that the, the children you trained are are now going to go fight the war while you sit here. Um, and he tells her it's the biggest mistake of her life child. And, and this discussion is just loaded with uh, portentous moments given her fate at the end of this episode. Um, She says it it may be a mistake, but it's my life. Really? (laughs) Pete proof that the, the people making the show have listened to us and gone back in the past to retroactively make changes to the show. We had wondered how Matt knew Brett was calling a couple episodes ago. Well, we, kind of get the answer in this episode in that his ringtone for foggy is pete foggy 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 
Foggy. <laughs> and um, foggy. <laughs> foggy. People are going to tune the dial to, to, to lesser podcast swill if you keep it up. Um, so we get Matt receiving this call from Foggy. Um, and by the way, just maybe this is ultra nitpicky. I'm pretty sure Matt had an iPhone in season one. Now he has a Samsung in season two. I don't know what that says, if it's a metaphor, if it's just product placement. Um, maybe, to be completely serious, maybe the one has better... Um, uh, accessibility for for those who are sight impaired i don't know but anyhow with this call from foggy brett has moved the story along by getting beaten up by gangbangers who wanted info on daredevil isn't brett mahoney so helpful pete he uh, is brett's in bad shape but he's kept his mouth shut his arms in the sling but his shirt is bloody it's proof pete that he's been beat up we move to the uh, police precinct. That's the 15th, right? The good old yes. fight in the 15th. Yes, 15th precinct. Nice little um, kind of communication there. Brett is aware that the side door is open. That's kind of the signal. Brett goes out. Charlie Cox here does a great job kind of growling and hiding his voice. Um, again, it's a small world when you're friends with the cop you're now vigilante friends with. Um and Brett reveals that police have information on everyone Daredevil has put away and everyone he saved. Wait a minute, Pete. Is that everyone? It's everyone. Well, hearing that, Daredevil runs off and the story moves to uh, the hand bus lo loaded with just <laughs> that. People Daredevil has saved, including... Wait, Pete, is that is that what's-her-name who was in the vampire show? Wait a minute. That's Karen Page. It is. And also people he's put away. It's all connected. <laughs> More on that in a bit, too. Uh, it's here that we see the Billy Club in action. Again, I'm not quite sure how it stays tight around the girder for him to swing down, then comes undone, but we see it happen, therefore it's proof it can be done. That's good it's enough for me. It's indestructible, Matt, and he does it in the comics. Willful suspension of disbelief. Absolutely. Get on board. Um, back to the bus we go. There's, uh, what did you say, the evil red? What's her name? Bad red. Bad red. I just want to say we have it, good red, who is just red, is Daredevil, and then we have bad red. I personally object to the depiction of a red-headed woman as anything other than a goddess, but uh, who, willful who suspension shoots, disbelief. <laughs> who 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 uh, has a uh, a POW from uh, Vietnam shot uh, because he was showing bravado and also. So bravado. Uh, taps, how about how about showing showing gonads? <laughs> taps Karen Page with a gun and then smacks her across the face. No, she's not a and threatens to kill the next person who talks. Not a not a bad person at all. Come on. Man. Well, Pete, what let, I'm saying let your, is, let your preference for a certain color of hair just fall away to to the second and just realize that you know bad people have all different types of hair. Pete, all the ladies are, are fetching. Anyhow, um, <laughs> Karen gets chatting with a certain ex-con who's supposed to be on house arrest. Wait a minute, Pete. Wait a minute. Through that mustache. Is that Turk Barrett? That's Turk Barrett, Mamma Jamma. And uh, you know what? He was just out taking a stroll. Supposed to be on house arrest. Okay? But, uh... Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go out. Maybe I uh, I tampered with this a little bit. A boy, a boy's got to go out once in a while. 
Um, and Karen immediately wants him to turn it back on. He doesn't want to do it, of course. Um, and asked her name by Bad Red, gives it. Bad Red doesn't give her name when she's asked back, just laughs. Laughing girl with red hair, not as good a name. And then hits her across the face. Uh, that's when the old man loses it and explains he was in Laos. This is a cakewalk. Come on, buddy, you and me, one-on-one. Let's go for it. Don't be a coward. And then he's shot in the head. That he is, and uh, certainly the stakes raised there. Um, but that that shot in the head does convince ex-con Turk Barrett to turn the tracker back on. Turns out, Pete, to turn it back on, you push the button. Go figure. <laughs> you, <laughs> Meanwhile, you, you do well. He he. All right, tampering with it. What did he do? I don't know. Did he did he loosen a screw? Whatever. Whatever, indeed. Meanwhile, on the rooftops, Matt is trying to tune into the hand in their bait, but he just can't find them. Electra is there, too, in a black coat, because we're, we're teasing that big reveal, Pete. Electra says that he'll find them all and save her. But he can't, he can't hear the her, the Karen, though. Electra tells him to filter it. Duh, because that's what he just needed to be told. You're not filtering enough. And he does. <laughs> he hears the bus, and the story moves from there. Slow your breath, focus. It's interesting that she's cast in the in the mentor archetype in this particular uh, interaction. Um, you know his his lamentation that the electricity in the building is is too loud. That, that you know the the city's you know just too much is going on, and and then finally able to to find it here, um, and. Uh, with the uh, captives being moved into a freight elevator, then taken into the building, forced to kneel, um, the police siren goes off. And Bad Red here, who utters the series um, overall, Matt, we're, we're over 200 for the series as a whole, but this season's 148th S-word Okay, then in Japanese that uh, they need to take care of it. She'll tell him, Nobu, of course. The cop car is uh, greeted by five uh, bow-wielding ninjas at the top um, who completely decimate the one cop. The other calls a 1013 officer down 36th and 7th before he is shot through the throat. Pete, he buys the arrow farm. I like in this smallest of casting that they do for the two NYPD officers. They got guys that you, you really get the sense, you know, like they're at the tail end of their career. They've had a good career. They got like a year to go. Now they got to go get that parole runner. Come on, man. What are you doing? And then then death greets them. Um, but back to the main story, Daredevil hears the call, that 1013, and Electra smiles. The game is afoot. Elsewhere, Nobu is meditating, meditating, and uh, Daredevil and Electra arrive. Daredevil can read 10 to 20 hostages, and there's just a buzzing of the hand in there. Um, I'd like that description, too, because it's telling us that there's so many of them that he has a read, but of course, because they're, you know, the heartbeat uh thing that they do he can't get a a specific read on them 
Electra says that she wants to take out Nobu. Matt, however, wants to save the hostages. Pete, that's called Conflict 101. And conscience as well. Um, he can't separate himself from the need to defend and save innocence, where as type for her, it's wanton destruction. It's whatever I want. Um, she's the id. She, you know, does whatever she wants to do. And he really is the superego. Back to the hand, ironically, because they're about to get a foot. Uh, they're looking for something. What's the something? They find it on Turk. Um, there's some kind of plaintive line from Karen there that's like, no, there's nothing there. You don't need to look at it. You know, there's something where it's she's clearly panicking. With and that, as dark as it is, he says it's a family heirloom, <laughs> which was just was awesome. My only, um, you know, disappointment with this is once we see the cutting start, we never see him definitively again. Uh, yeah. I want to know how Turk Barrett is. Turk Barrett, Mama Jamma. Um, luckily though, Pete, we know he still has most of the foot on there because Daredevil arrives to save the day and Pete, a whole bunch of people get saved. They're getting shuttled on out and everything, but, but who's the last one? It's Karen who he gives a little extra attention to. Uh, she worries for him. He worries for her. Oh man. I wonder if that'll come to a head at the end of the episode. Uh, down the stairs they go. Karen now taking the lead while Daredevil takes on more ninja. Electra arrives too, and her new suit, it's its pretty good, Pete, but it doesn't quite have that Melvin Potter 2.0 shine, kind of more similar to the Daredevil version 1.0 that we had last season. And uh, yeah, I thought it was, a, it was a good suit, but not great. I want the bandana is, is what I was looking for here. Hmm. Um, and that she suffers a wound where she's not covered, which begs the question, you know, he was uh, sizing her up down her arms and they they make the fabric, you know, go above her biceps, but not all the way up. And of course, she gets caught there. Hey, you got you got a cut where the makeup person can find some skin to. I, yeah. Yeah. To, to ding up there. You know, he's cut as well. And uh, Karen had pointed that out. I, I think you. You got an intentional tip there when Daredevil touches Karen's face that obviously this is going to be something that comes to fruition by the end of the episode. How long can Foggy be the only one in the loop? And it's going to be interesting to see how that's going to affect the dynamic going forward. The dynamic trio. Elsewhere in the building, the 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 bad red brings nobu his knife on a chain and he declares the black sky will be theirs we get a, a quick shot of daredevil and electra ascending the stairs while on the ground nypd backup arrives brett tells the one cop about a thousand times to hold his fire spoiler alert fire is held the hostages come out exposition page tells exposition brett that it's all a trap for daredevil Foggy arrives too, and Karen says that this could be the end of vigilantes in New York. Oh man, what about that job that I just took to defend them outside of the box? Oh boy, they could take away that corner office just as soon as they as soon as they give it. Uh, at the top of the stairs, 
Daredevil and Elektra close the door and bar it. She's worried that they're going to die. And Matt asks if it should end here or on the roof. Pete, she's always liked the fresh air. It's a, it's, a, it's a touching scene and a nice opportunity to just pause the narrative for a moment. Matt, we've joked before about the millions and millions of ninjas in the hand. The we... scale at the end of this episode, down to the flourish of them holding their katana na 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 with uh, both hands so it doesn't make noise as they run in like squadrons i really appreciate that they're selling this illusion obviously you don't have thousands of these ninjas but the feel that there are hundreds of them up there and they're this intimidated that when they go to the roof um it's it's going to get really hairy and we sell it to a certain extent from a visual standpoint was great yeah, I would be interested to know what visual trickery they did. I would imagine that we probably never saw more than like 30 on screen at once. But that you saw 30 extras. Uh, absolutely. Clad in this with, all right, even if you're giving them dummy wooden weapons in, in you know, black padded cases and everything like that to put on rooftops. These are actual rooftops somewhere. Um, yeah, I just completely appreciated how, uh, much they upped the ante. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Matt senses them. It's not just the katanas. It's also longbows. Uh, Electra starts talking about how they might not see each other again, even if they survive. What if Matt asks, take the helmet off, helmet off. because the it's close up time. That. That, it's because it's close up time, Pete. Yeah. What if they, that they make it and Matt runs with her. He's serious. Uh, and I bet that that makes her dead in the future now that he's, you know, promising all this. But Pete, he's free with Electra like no one else. He's found his peace and it's with her. He's good, Pete. He's good. There, there, there are some bro points you could be taking here from, I mean, not you in particular. I mean, we, the gentlemen, you know, recognize game in game. That's some good game there. Am I the only one, given his romantic connection to all three of the major female characters on this show, that doesn't completely buy this? I mean, end of the show. There he is with Karen. Helmet off. I'm Daredevil. Claire knows. Every woman in his life knows his identity as this vigilante. And I, that, I think, makes it very difficult to buy this. I get that they have the longest history together. I get the ensuing conversation with Stick after. Was it worth loving her? And, and he quantifies it that we only had moments, moments of chaos and everything there. But I, I don't completely buy this. And we know that they're heading into this, you know, enormous conflict. It, it almost feels like it's the character trying to convince himself. Pete, bravado aside, I think there is a slight BS factor to his interaction with women. I mean, we see that in the very first episode of this the, the of the show, where he is a little bit of a of a ladies' man, and it's you know a, a revolving door in his bedroom and that kind of thing. I'm thinking, Pete, of somebody somebody I knew in high school who's 
mother and father had divorced and she remarried and then the second husband things weren't great there because she married the second husband so quickly so she was having an affair with the first husband and then there was somehow a baby involved and who was the wow. father like that's the real world we all know stories like that whether it's you know a friend or friend of a friend or whatever so i think that you know, we we all know that I, I could see Matt as a fully fleshed character, totally believing everything, and then we can we can, I will be with you. You are my peace, and we are one. And I am the walrus, and believing it, but still being somebody who's quick to run into romance and quick to quick to run into all of these emotions, and like I said, not realizing that it's his own BS here that he's he's feeding into this nonsense, and he's not not being a grown up with it true to her character i i find electra's response better you know mentioning oh let's go to london let's go to madrid let's let's go to tunisia there are sexy places to hide matt sexy places the sexy places but pete she knows he loves new york and he says that he loves her more that, that that's pretty big there uh all they need to do is survive what's beyond that door which is certainly a nice cap to that to that moment out they go it's easily 50 to 1 i don't care how many extras the show hired through the magic of cinema i mean there's just that incredible number we were talking about they fire arrows and uh, daredevil and electra bat them off because that's what you do nobu stops the fight saying that no one escapes destiny um and that too is a nice little bit of story flourish i mean the 50 to 1 um uh advantage should be enough for them to both die quickly but nobu wants satisfaction nobu wants his showdown which is completely believable yeah that uh she that electra the black sky belongs to them and he daredevil belongs in the ground here they tangle ninjas grab electra because of course they need her alive um the 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 fight with Nobu and uh, Daredevil winds up, uh, you know, having several flourishes, but uh, Daredevil tells him that you're done. Your army will crumble. Um, and uh, he's told here that uh, your, your city belongs to no one and she belongs to us. The mask comes off, Matt, because again, we've got to see the face here. All right. And ultimately, Nobu's ready to uh, give the coup de grace, but there's a sigh, not of relief, Matt. This is a fight. It's a it's lit a bit darkly for my tastes. Uh, specifically, I find the foreground underlit behind the or in front of rather these marvelous backgrounds with yellows and reds and blues in them. Um there's also a slightly tropey element to this. There's the sweet electric guitar riff as Electra's fight and Daredevil's fight merge and they work together. Some of the lines uh, like, leave my city alone, are a little tropey. I, I, I'm not taking the show to task greatly. This is the end of a Marvel TV season. It, it, it's fair game. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, Pete, Nobu is about to stab Daredevil when Electra jumps in and she takes the sigh into her heart 
Yeah, and uh, they have nothing now. She she says to him, she took it all away. I know what it feels like to to be good. Does it always hurt this much, Matt? Uh, I don't know, but th- this is not the end. Are her final words? Ironically, I think not final. <laughs> um, but Pete, it's a death scene that certainly is well earned. It gives a full emotional punch, despite the predictions of such a thing happening for anyone who has even basic knowledge of the story. Um, I also, though, felt like it went on a tad long. Her her final words include. They have nothing now. I took it all away. I know. I know now what it feels to be good. This has always hurt so much. This is not the end. Um, me think the lady doth protest too much, uh, and maybe you should die a bit quicker. Not that I wanted her dead, but it, again, it just it, it struck me as continuing something that's going on in this scene where it's just a little too stylized for my taste. Um, and going for the stylization, I feel like you're not, I don't know, you're not hitting that flourish of the first spider-man movie where he goes from pajamas to blah, 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 the final great suit and you go oh we don't need to see that part it's a comic book movie when we're with you you can do those things here it just kind of felt a little laborious just a little bit on the suit though she's been fitted for this new outfit and how does she die she gets stabbed through it so you almost have to ask well why the big deal about it um why have to have her suited up there i get it you can't have her go to see melvin potter and not come away with something like it's another child having a birthday party and the other kids got to get something (laughs) um you know because field day but um yeah i just like I said, who would have figured that her storyline would loom as large where we leave things compared to the Punisher, who then opens fire here after Nobu tells his ninjas to finish Daredevil, um, that uh, Nobu ultimately gets thrust off the side of the building with the uh, the billy club. The grunting, Matt, is what took me out of this scene daredevil uh, uh, uh. i i get it he's you know uh emotional he's uh in a rage i think it was a little oversold here um all the while the other things that are going on karen's noting that it's frank who's doing the shooting everybody else coming to realize that uh see around red uh, the grunting continues and Nobu's eyes open up there on the street. He gets up, turns around and y- you knew it because of the way the music was swelling that somebody was going to be there. And of course it's stick stabs him through and then cuts his head off, <laughs> which was great. Um, oh, it was fabulous. fabulous. Next time you piece of S one fifty four, Matt, we only have one more for the, the series. <sighs> Uh, stay down. To go back to the Frank Castle stuff for a minute, uh, his his intro comes at a good point. The four ninja are about to finish Matt, um, and uh, it's with the help of Frank Castle sniping from afar. 
We see him, Pete, with his gun hiding the body armor. Oh man, Pete, we're about to get the reveal. Then he's shown from way super far away. And then close up from the armpits up. The show not giving us the full Punisher skull with full effect. Giving us a shot from the waist to the head. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't just give us that bum 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 moment. I think, and I, I have to side with the decision not to do it here. I think there was so much going on, and given the tone of Electra has just died, um, they've just killed um, Nobu off, Matt is, is trying to pull himself through all of it. It wasn't the right moment to do it. I would disagree. Since the first preview of Season 2 was shown... In the room we were in at New York Comic Con, the world premiere of that preview, it's been the the X-ray skull image, and then that becomes the the newspaper, uh, not headline, but that becomes the front page picture that he then looks at to associate that with with the with himself. Right, and then he gets the body armor, which okay, we can you know backtrack and say they created or found a particular body armor so when it gets painted it looks like the skull but fine and he gets that last episode and pete you pointed it out look it's like the skull but all in black then he has the moment in his shed oh i'm gonna spray paint this because i'll show them my but he symbol. spray painted black on black it's it's a it's a shinier uh type of thing and oh, i thought it was white no 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 it's black on black because when the light hits it and i think you know you were the one that pointed out the light issues that you had with this scene i i think that might be cause for why it it feels that way it it's too much in the realism that they're selling us to to put i'm gonna take the the picture of the skull that I'm associated with from a horrible tragedy that happened and literally put that on my chest. Instead it's here. Okay. It's a, it's a flourish. It's not so overt and comical within a comic universe. And I think it's one of those things too. This is a show, especially with its Netflix pedigree, but this is a show like like all shows, now that it's out there in the marketplace, it'll be seen forever. So if you're just truly one click, you know, at some point in the future, you'll be one click away from Daredevil, uh, pardon me, Punisher returning to Daredevil Season 3 or Punisher in Defenders or Punisher in The Punisher, a new Netflix show that it's going to play, oh boy, I want more click here's more we just happen to be in this weird time right now where there is no more yet um I'm, I'm kind of thinking too of like the game of thrones stuff where it's like every season finale oh my goodness i can't imagine what's next uh, except for me who watched the first five seasons <laughs> for the basically for the first time over over you know the holidays and it was like oh my goodness tremendous season one finale on to the next episode tremendous season two finale on to the next episode. So maybe we get more Punisher soon. It's just not soon for us. You asking me or telling me? <laughs> well, I think we all know. We've all heard tell, t tales told of a possible Punisher series. Surely they have Burnthal wrapped up for multiple seasons. So whether they want to use that in Defenders or whatever it might be, I, I, I think I could be asking and telling Pete. <laughs> 
for once for once <laughs> um great flourish out of stick after he's decapitated this man he just uh uses his trench coat to hide his katana and and away we go matt we we've segued now we're at the the cemetery and it's it's somber uh it's just stick and matt and uh he wanted to say a few words but he but he doesn't have any and uh it's it's stick that's very earnest here from a character we don't normally get that. He's normally very wry. Says, God rest her soul. That ought to be enough. Matt explains that when they were in college, he brought her roses. She hates roses or hated. Um, but hey, you wanted her dead. And stick asks, was it worth it loving her? Um, that he had taught Matt to cut all ties to, uh, you know, eliminate distraction from his life here, but they only had a few moments against the chaos orchids. She liked the orchids and uh, yeah, to answer your question, it was worth it. And nice surrogate father son scene here when he tells Matt that you're the toughest SOB I've ever met. This line here of so much of their time together was noise, chaos and violence. I think that just feeds into what we were discussing before that for all that we can admire Matt for, he is one of those people that lives, lives a dramatic life and lives, lives a life that isn't looking for stability and, and, and is looking for the thrill, whether he has powers or not, whether he's sighted or not, he's just kind of one of those people who's thriving on, uh, on drama and, um, that he was drawn to, to, uh, a romantic partner and an emotional partner who's like that to know him best in that way versus say foggy who knows him well, but foggy who brings stability or at least brought stability. I think that's all in line with a portion of the character that we don't like, but that we can, that we can see there. Anyhow, the story moves on. It's later. We're at Josie's and foggy and Karen are drinking. She says, Josie's used to feel like home. Now there's no Matt, no us, no Nelson, Murdoch, and Page, and a really poignant moment there. Yeah, and he's moving on to his big uh, hotshot job here. Um, enough money that he won't need to buy the rot gut here that is sold at Josie's, and it's time to close out that Nelson and Murdoch tab. Um, We're you know, done here. Po poignant. I think that it, that it comes to that and the, the long shot of the, the neon sign. Elsewhere at the New York Bulletin, Karen, Karen is in her office and it's Christmas Eve. Ellison finds her unable to write and suggests scotch, which helps a writer not care so much. Great line there. Pete, you can tell us whether it's true or not. But just a great line there because there's the setup of Scotch helps you write. Nope, <laughs> Scotch helps you not care that you can't write. I am I am not a Scotch person, um, and I don't really advocate drinking to write. I know that there are writers who do. I'm more of a coffee guy uh, when it when it comes to my writing, but, um, I mean, listen, journalism for a long, long time led all professions in 
instances of alcoholism and divorce. And we have cut those numbers down tremendously. It was a cliche that every newspaper man had a bottle in his desk. I'm, I'm proud to say I never did. Um, and, uh, okay. You, you can, you can play with that convention. It is a, it is a, uh, mentor-esque, uh, jovial, playful moment here between them. I I'm going to give them their moment here, Matt, but I'm going to decapitate them in a moment. Oh my. Um, well, where does Karen start? Ellison calls all her angles garbage. He tells her to write something new, her truth, everything she's been through. This is New York. Show the readers something they don't know. Ellison would read the S out of that. 155 and our final of season two. Okay. There were 66 in season one. Bravo writers on incorporating <laughs> the S word that much more in 13 episodes with that pete uh something that we have debated off mic uh the exact meaning of it but with that ellison gives her apparently a hanukkah scotch and tells her to write 2,000 words before santa shows up uh that's like by midnight so she only has a couple hours to do that and uh pete are we getting a new take on karen's background here i honestly don't know um you know we've we've talked about the date Last year, Hanukkah was much closer to Thanksgiving. And this coming year um, for Christmas 2016, it coincides with Christmas, does it not? Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve in 2016. Okay. So this is the first Marvel series that I am aware of off the top of my head that, um, let me put it this way, that does not start when we are watching the show or at the very least pr gives evidence that it's that it clearly is not you know that dropped in april it starts in the middle of the summer so i don't know how much we read into the events of the this series which are largely self-contained there's no like oh man can you believe there's a the spider-man now that can clearly say it's it, that this takes place in the second half of 2016 versus last year versus who cares. Um, but I do have a theory that I'll advance in our, in our sidebar segment that, that may add to it beyond the fact that uh, Hanukkah 2016 starts on, on uh, Christmas Eve. This is Christmas Eve and he's giving out Hanukkah gifts and we see Hanukkah being celebrated in a little bit. I think hashtag it's all connected, but but we'll stick a pin in that for right now if you want, Pete. Well, let's leave it at all inclusive for right now, as it should be. And um, it's at this point that uh, Ellison backs away, having left the scotch, you know, just in case. 2,000 words, Matt, just for some perspective. That's on the level of a magazine-length article. Um, that's really long. Yeah, that absolutely. I mean, I've I've written two thousand words before, and that's that's a lot of writing and a lot of time. Frankly, a, a lot of reading, um, especially for a novice who we've never seen write something 
on this level. And that's certainly not to disparage Karen Page's ability to tell a story uh, on the page, which if you can tell someone a story with a beginning, middle and end, you can do this. Journalism is not so complicated or highfalutin that that can't be done. But here's where I'm going to take it down. Okay, so her uh, voiceover here of reading it um, uh, against the things that we then see. But she starts with an unforgivable sin. The first is uh, asking in your lead, in your opening, uh, a question, which you never do, is universally taught not to do. Second, second sentence. Wait, wait, wait. wait. We, let's stick with the first sentence for just one minute. What is it, comma, to be a hero? Don't in the you... headline, she, which she wrote a headline, and then she wrote it in the lead. Never done. Never, ever done. Furthermore, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to, to, to use my own educational background here and, and knowledge of literature and writing. You don't need the comma there. What is it to be a hero is just fine. Like that's that's the sentence. What is it to be a hero? Not what is it to be a hero? So the the commas a grammatical she's, error. She's playing she's playing right into it and okay it makes sense but it, I know there's people rolling their eyes right now Pete but if you want <laughs> a loving but realistic honest take on Daredevil here we are critiquing Karen Page untrained journalists uh, grammar in her first big article. I mean, Sorry. listen, I have a you you can't take it out of me. I have a master's degree from the greatest journalism school on earth. So, just happens to be the same place where Nelson and Murdoch got their law degrees. So it's it's all connected, Matt. The second unforgivable sin that she commits is that she uses a second person, which is almost exclusively. Uh, taken out of journalism, that there's any other way to tell it, uh, you're going to find a more formal, more distanced way to say it, to to write it. This is written to be said, not written to be read. And that's the big difference here. And okay, it's a TV show. It makes no bones about that. But you're going to sell us that She's going to ascend to this role at a newspaper and be able to write this big story, given her access, which you're at the mercy of, of who will speak to you and things like that. I've, I've been in situations like that, but get a consultant, do something. <laughs> the only wave of the magic wand that makes a lot of this okay is something that I've said in previous podcasts, which is this, if we look at the size of the Bolton office, not as a set that is not used too often and, you know, it's not a giant set, but if you ignore that and say, this is their actual newsroom, this could be a tiny paper that is only shrinking. So you might allow some of this stuff to go on because you're just flailing. Not that that's suggested in any way in the story. Just, just I'm just offering some in-story excuses here. But Pete, in her article, she says that a hero can be seen in the mirror. Pete, I guess that makes me a hero. High five. You're, you're, you're a New Yorker. You're a survivor. You're in Hell's Kitchen. I mean, they're platitudes, Matt. They, they should be. Just find another way and make it a little bit more authentic is, is my big 
my big beef with it. Um, I dig the imagery. You know, we've got the trees walk by the window where the menorah is being lit. Do we know? Did we look at the number of candles being lit? Was it authentic? We're going to say it was Christmas Eve. They seem like they were a couple candles in. You know what, Pete? That's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get the answer for you as we speak live, live to tape. <laughs> Um, but the, the concept of, of being a survivor and there we see Matt with the, with the brown paper package and okay, we can only figure what's going to be in there. Um, Frank, meanwhile, has taken gasoline to his house, his, his third scene. He's going to torch this, um, home. He's going to start a new, he punches the picture of, uh, men photoshopped in front of mountains <laughs> <laughs> wow well, well said pete well said and uh that's also matt, the name of the next uh big netflix series men yes. photoshopped in front of mountains that that's the uh the name of the second episode of uh of of the punisher series men photoshopped in front of mountains um punches and there's a disc labeled micro behind there some some further seeding for future tales um we get the explosion as he comes out he's got a gatling gun matt and it's the best shot we get of the uh the logo on the vest there in that shinier leather type of material um but hey you're a you're a new yorker you're a hero and timed well as Matt hits Nelson and Murdoch, welcome home, uh, goes inside. Of course, Karen's there. Thanks for meeting me. Uh, you know, uh, why am I here, Matt? I have something for you. And uh, reaches in for the mask, pulls it out. I'm Daredevil. Really, really nice reveal. It's well-earned. It's heartfelt. I think it's proper for there to be um, two seasons to have gotten us from their first interaction as Daredevil and Victim, and then finally Matt revealing himself to Karen. Um, it's, 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 I mean, I'll just say it again. It's well-earned. It really is a nice, it's a nice moment. It's, it's a long road that we've been on for these 26 episodes. She's gobsmacked. Uh, and it, it's a great way to end the season. They hold it for a second, or is the season over, Pete? It's not. We come up from a grave where a grave digger uh, lies dead, uh, ironically, with the shovel. Um, Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. Yeah, and then it's that gigantic urn which we opened the episode with while it was closed it is now open and we see a figure clad in red we come to see that it is electra with her hands across her body here no sign of uh trauma as they close the urn the position that they have her body somehow it is both that traditional arms crossed position of the dead, but there's also an energy in it, obviously portending the future, but uh, really, really a nice way to truly end all the offerings of Marvel Netflix. Or is it? Yeah. The audacity, Matt, that they would give you 22 seconds here of, of Luke Cage of, of a little bit of humor, 
of a logo of a little bit of uh, rap music in the background. Not sure. I'm I'm crazy about the inclusion there. It just didn't feel with the vibe. Um, but obviously, really looking forward to that. Having seen as much of um, you know Mike Coulter as we did in Jessica Jones, and uh, really trying to pull the audience here. We've seen three of the four defenders live on stage in their only public appearance. Can't wait till New York Comic Con when we see all four of them, Matt. And uh, before that, of course, the Luke Cage podcast. So search for search for Fantastic Geek wherever you get your Fantastic Geek, and uh, and uh, you'll get Luke Cage. But Pete, we still have some more Daredevil to talk about. Objection, Your Honor. He's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, great to see Nobu return here as. Uh, almost the big bad. I mean, I know there's other forces at work, but he certainly is kind of the, uh, the, the top man representing the hand in New York and, uh, nice, nice how they worked him back into the story. Who would have thunk it when we saw him burned to death or believed him burned to death in season one, that he would come back and loom as large as he did in this story. You're never going to have him take on the stature of a Wilson Fisk. They don't even attempt it. But that there's a measure of immortality that he may have lived three lifetimes, that he's he's gathering this kind of power or attempting to master Nobu, Matt. He is a force to be reckoned with. And the, the actor here, Peter Shinkoda, I mean, not a ton to say. A lot of physical acting and who knows how much of it he was actually doing, but half a scarred face there till he's decapitated. Just, you know, good stuff out of a villain. It it definitely is. And I mean, to think that this was a season where he was the bad guy for about half of it. You know, we have Punisher for a little bit less than a half. We have Fisk as the bad guy for an episode or two. Uh, he's not seen in, in one of them, but he's kind of his machinations. And then Nobu for the rest. I mean, that's 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 quite a compliment there to be carrying uh, carrying as many episodes as he did as the as the baddie. Uh, and of course, by the way, we'll take a take a more broad look at the season as a whole uh, next week as we do a season two wrap up. But uh, thumbs up there to Nobu and Pete. We of course, as we're talking about baddies, we have to talk about uh, Bad Red. Every big bad needs his lieutenant here and uh, with Hirochi gone because he got his ear bit off um, to have this beautiful uh, redheaded woman step in, apparently fluent in Japanese and completely down with the hands plan. Uh, it was it was a good flourish here at the end of the season. Certainly unexpected. Yeah, a little air of intrigue uh, and uh, just just an opportunity to kind of make things different, make things unexpected. And that's always welcome when you're talking bad guys and bad gals. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off the record theories. You be the judge, Matt, the it that is referred to by 
Nobu and Big Red or Bad Red or Big Bad Red or the Big Bad's Red at the beginning of this episode. Uh, it's ready for use should it come to that. What is or was the it? I think most importantly, what will it be? I like the I like that we have the perspective now to say we are setting up defenders with the way this season ends. Charlie Cox has made comments. He does not know when the next season of Daredevil will be. They're focused on defenders. I I feel his I feel for him and his lack of uncertainty, but Marvel doesn't plan too far ahead with these things, particularly with TV where you can say, well, we'll do another season here. We won't do another season there, etc." Um, it didn't feel right in the first season that we got black sky. What's the mystery? I don't know. Next season. But now that we have the perspective of two seasons to say that we, we are getting these, um, we're getting this slow rollout of what could be a big bad for defenders or could be a catalyst of some sorts. I'm cool with that because when we get to defenders in 18 months, in two years, uh, it'll feel all the better because it will have been since April, 2015 that there's been mysticism in the air. I particularly uh, was caught off by, talking about it and the 20 targets and then you come to realize you know you're thinking targets like okay they're the, the holes they've been digging they're gonna have something blast up or you know what are they gonna do and it winds up being the people the the files there that they have about uh daredevil's victims or victims the victims he saved um, so nice little bit of misdirect that when you put it all together, okay, here's where they were going. Um, you know, is the, it, the black sky and, you know, just the litany of powers that have been attributed to this black sky, uh, Electra as, as a living weapon now here in the urn at the end closed up all the blood's been pumped in there what kind of powers how is it happening i mean we're still left with so many questions and tantalizing ones at that well pete speaking of tantalizing futures let's return again to this notion of when the season takes place uh i have found uh, found that uh in the episode, uh, as as Matt passes uh, the, the family celebrating Hanukkah, indeed the first candle is being lit. So here's here's my proposition, Pete. It makes a difference as to when this is taking place. We know, uh, for example, thinking back to comments that uh, last season's showrunner Stephen tonight made that th these showrunners are in charge of individual seasons. Other people are in charge of finding all the connections. That's how the film end works. Hey, cool, you're doing Captain America 2. Awesome. Listen, by the way, um, Hydra is secretly behind much of S.H.I.E.L.D. Make that work. See you later. And they had to. Same thing here. Here's my theory, Pete. They were told, hey, Luke Cage is coming out. And it's time to up, to up the interconnectedness of what's going on. We need a season that whatever else is going on spans across six months. We need to get to the end of 
2016 because when Luke Cage comes out, we want to have Luke Cage crisscrossing at certain points. That could be stuff that's on screen. It could be stuff where he's just seeing news reports of Frank Castle brought to trial today, Frank Castle dead, things of that sort to really do what we wanted in the first season of Daredevil, which is Daredevil and Phil Coulson having a conversation because it's all connected. They opted to go a simpler route, but now's the time to ratchet that up. And I think that in that menorah, Pete, we can see the future. Empirically, everything points to it, but I just don't know why you're going to work that far ahead. Um, Yes, we don't know when Defenders will happen. Clearly, the progression from a casting and production standpoint is that we have the date on Luke Cage, which is September 30th, 2016. It doesn't mean it happens in September 2016. And then we're going to have Iron Fist after that, unless for some reason, all of a sudden, Jessica Jones casting suddenly ramps up and we're going to do two nearly simultaneously. There's been some overlap with these productions um, when it when it comes down to it. So again, empirically, you've got me. I just I hold back because I just don't think it makes sense to work that far ahead from the time frame that we're in. Time certainly will tell. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Matt, we will begin on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH all one word. And Robert T. Frost writes in, just going to give you a piece here that uh, speaks towards the whole. But he said, thank you for the pacing of when the podcast drops. Last year, I was able to binge watch the series. But this um, year, I'm struggling to keep the episodes current with the podcast. The steady pace and knowing the day when each cast is expected to drop is fantastic with an F. But Robert, you are fantastic with a ph he sure is and uh, certainly appreciate robert and everybody who's been in touch talking daredevil this season we are gonna have one more uh daredevil season two episode as mentioned before that'll drop uh, a week from now so it'll drop on may 5th which is also uh when uh, previews or not previews but the early shows the, the thursday night shows are for for civil war so that's uh that's uh fortuitous but please one and all do share your your overall thoughts for season two hopes for season three hopes for defenders etc and uh, you have a little time to do that because uh like i said it'll be uh, it'll be a week from today next thursday when we uh, take one more look back there at the old uh, season two so with that, Pete, let's also give uh, a thanks here at the end of the season to everybody who has supported us over on Patreon.com. Yes, especially uh, Mary Kirk, a, a big uh, patron there, and all our other patrons in between. Uh, tremendous help as far as putting on the podcast, uh, hosting everything there. We continue to add to our perks on the page. So please check it out. We're going to be 
shifting some out and putting some new ones in, give you an example of some of the expiring ones. Uh, there are two which would allow your name to be used in an upcoming uh, screenplay in a screenwriting contest that I will be competing in. Uh, you would get a copy of that uh, script sent to you once completed. And, uh, you know, cute little thing. You, you, if it, uh, you know, blows your hair back, great. If not, no big deal. There's plenty of other things to choose from. Absolutely. And uh, we appreciate all who have checked it out, all who have lent a hand. And uh, we appreciate you, dear listener, for uh, considering how to do so. But of course, Pete, the greatest reward is interacting with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J. Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,620 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally looking back lost on the Twitter, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek, that is Fantastic with the PH. You can find us under that name on the Gmail, the .com, the Instagram, and the Twitter, and more, Pete. Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek with the PH with the one word with the likes. See you there. Pete, want to give one more thanks to everybody who's been with us for this entire uh, second season of Daredevil. It, uh, it, 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 it can be extra energy at times be do, uh, doing two Daredevils and one Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a week, but uh, we do it because you're listening, because of the conversations we have. It's a it's a thrill to be able to get together with you, the listeners, uh, to talk Daredevil, and uh, I can't wait for, for more Marvel ahead. It's a grind, but it's a blast, and uh, you listeners make it really fun, so thanks for being there. Well, that, Pete, I will say sayonara to all our listeners before we get together one more time next week to talk Daredevil, and I will give you, Pete, the final word. This is not the end. I'm back, back in New York.